From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. It has been a week of playoffs and pain in Georgia sports, and it is not over yet. The Braves suffered a brutal 13-1 defeat against the St. Louis Cardinals on Wednesday, ending their postseason run. And Atlanta United is headed for the start of the Major League Soccer Cup playoffs against the New England Revolution on Saturday. Whether you're mourning the prospects of the Braves or donning the red and black stripe of United, emotions are high. Another run's going to score as the Braves cannot secure the strikeout. It is 10 to nothing, St. Louis in the first inning. We are the A. To dive into the minds of sports fans, we have Dr. Seth Norholm joining us this morning. He's Associate Professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Wayne State University School of Medicine, where he is also Scientific Director at the Neuroscience Center for Anxiety, Stress, and Trauma. Joining us on the line now from Detroit, Dr. Norholm, hello. Hi, how are you today? Well, tough couple of days here. Uh, you lived in Atlanta for a long time, working at Emory in the VA. So you know the emotional roller coaster of following the Braves. They have this big, fancy new stadium and big high hopes for this postseason. But after Wednesday, people are feeling pretty humiliated. And this is a fan base that already ranks 63rd on ESPN's Misery Index. So the level of emotional misery of followers of the four biggest sports. Why are people so unhappy about this team? I think part of it has to do with fandom in general. So if you think about what a fan is, you know, a fan has excessive enthusiasm and intense devotion uh, to their team. And if this fandom becomes linked to your, your own sense of self. And so for, you know, people who live in Atlanta who have been longtime Braves fans and know what this team has been capable of in the past, they look at that as a past success and they say, we, you know, we want to get back to that. And so what's happened over the last few years is there's been a number of disappointments. And so as a fan, because you've adapted or adopted this team as part of yourself, you sort of have to calibrate your feelings. And so I've talked to a few Braves fans this week, you know, in summer, are really excited about the prospect of winning this series and going on to win another series. And others just say, you know, I really just hope we win this game. So Mm -hmm. you'll see this level of recalibration where I want to set my expectations. And the reasons fans set those expectations is because, you know, we this association that we have as fans has a real psychological and physiological link to us. We feel up and excited when they win. We feel down and sad when they lose. If there's an exciting play, our adrenaline rises and our heart rate rises and our mood goes up. And if that play fails, it, you know, it's a dropped ball or, uh, you know, a, a home run that's caught it at the warning track, you know, you feel that let down. You feel that uh, moment. <laughs> yes, and we can hear it in the stadium, certainly, and from all of the groans of, you know, those couch surfers across the state and across the country who are Braves fans. Well, let me, let me ask you a little bit more about that. The fandom, you are adopted as a, you adopt this team as a part of yourself. So, I mean, in the moment, yes, dropped ball, you gasp, um, maybe cheer when something great happens. But does it go much, does it go any further than that, Dr. Norholm, that the idea of redemption for the team, does that mean anything larger for the people who are watching? It's certainly deeper than, you know, that moment in the game, uh, because fandom for many people who follow these teams, 
you know, it's part of what they do. It's part of who they are. And so you're invested in the story. And that story continues, you know, with some rare exceptions like teams moving to a different city. But regardless, you know, people come and go in your lives, jobs come and go, places, you know, in the city change, but there's always the Braves, there's always the Falcons. And so there's this sense that this is a, a constant in my life. And so you look to that for a number of different things. You look at that as an escape from world news, from uh, daily stressors, finances, things like that. And if the team loses, then you've lost that escape. You've lost that positive reinforcer in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, the luster of that escape has already been a little tarnished. I mean, some of this stems to the Braves' move to SunTrust Park in Cobb County back in 2017, a wealthier suburb of the city, wealthier and whiter. And a lot of people there were angry about shelling out for the new facility. And then for people who live in downtown Atlanta, they were angry because the Braves left the actual city of Atlanta. How does that kind of anger about the team's operation translate to the feeling among fans? Yeah, that certainly plays a role. You know, one of the things that comes with fandom is the association you feel with the team. So if you've lived in Atlanta your whole life, if you lived uh, downtown uh, near Turner Field and the Braves were a part of your life and all of a sudden they move, you know, you'll hear a lot of people in Atlanta say the Atlanta Braves are no longer the Atlanta Braves because they're out in Cobb County. Uh, So the fans certainly feel that. So your point is absolutely correct. If you move the team geographically from the city, it's going to create a gap with the fans. And so there's this disconnect between the core fans who identify because this is my hometown and the fans who are fans of the team regardless of where they are. Well, that's, you know, beyond the individual feelings is the sense of belonging. And one of the things that has been identified as playing a part of the role in people sort of divesting themselves as fans of the Braves is race. I mean, downtown is diverse. The wealthy suburbs lean white. Some people say the Braves value white fans more. And in 2014, the Hawks owner, Bruce Levinson, got in hot water when an email surfaced showing his explicit preference for white fans. Then when the Braves moved to Cobb County, plenty of people thought, you know, you're just catering to a certain demographic. How does that kind of, you know, if you're talking about belonging to a team and belonging to a sense of fandom of team, how does crossing those kind of barriers how does that how do they feel about embracing the team right right absolutely because one of the things that sports has provided to people for a long period of time has been this uh, transcultural connection between people so it didn't matter if you were black white hispanic you know if you would go to a game and you know the Braves hit a home run or the Falcons score a touchdown you know you're seeing people high-fiving in the fans that don't know each other at all except for the fact that they have this common fandom and at that moment in time there's no uh, you know there's no recollection of oh this person is different than me and so you're absolutely right when you move the, the Braves from a demographic where it's downtown and it's more diverse and then you move to to the the suburbs where it's a much different demographic you know it's absolutely expected that that group you know whatever it may be however it may be defined whether it's socioeconomic or race is going to say this team left me for this reason Mm -hmm. and so you'll see that drop off in fandom 
Right. But in the end, people have been going to games. I mean, the Braves are on track to set a 12-year attendance record. But could this attendance boom be fair weather fans? I mean, you look at a team like the Cubs went a century without winning a World Series team. I grew up in New England where, you know, we were, it was a dry run for the Red Sox for a long, long time. And the Cubs have an ancient stadium. So do the Red Sox. But Chicagoans still love the Cubs. How, how can a team like the Braves re-earn that loyalty when the glamour of a new stadium and maybe even this playoff series subsides? Yeah, what you want to do, uh, I think, is tap into, you know, there's this transgenerational aspect of fandom, too. So you mentioned the Cubs and the Red Sox and both of those teams experiencing decades of losing and then finally winning, you know, the World Series. And you saw, you know, adults, elderly people, grown men crying when the Cubs won, when the Red Sox won. And they would recollect stories of if only my father or my grandfather had been there to see this. And so you have this transgenerational aspect. You have this common thread that keeps the fans coming. And so what could happen with the Braves is, you know, if this stadium continues to be a success and if the team continues to be successful and these new, uh, you know, transgenerational inherited moments are created where, you know, daughters and fathers and sons are and, and mothers and, and grandparents are going to games together. You know, that's how you build the solid fan base when it becomes not just part of the, the culture of the community, but also the culture of the family. I think success breeds success. So if the team continues to be successful, you, you pull in new fans, you pull in what, you know, what you call fairweather fans, uh, because what can happen is the fandom then, uh, you know, crosses over from just sports fans into a pop cultural and, uh, you know, it steps outside and becomes something positive uh, and more of a fad for the community. And that brings in more fans. You know, you'll oftentimes see when a team comes out of nowhere with success and they've got all these new fans because they're, you know, they want to get part of this positive pop culture aspect of it. Dr. Seth Norholm is with me. He's associate professor of psychiatry at Wayne University. He used to live and work in Atlanta. He was at Emory in the VA for a long time. We're talking about the psychological state of Atlanta sports fans. You talked about transgenerational fandom, but let's look at Atlanta United. This is in pre- relatively new for Atlanta. Right. Huge crowds showing up for these games, smashing attendance records. What are the five stripes doing right? So I think what was recognized there was that there, you know, Atlanta is a, a huge soccer town as far as youth sports are concerned, and so there was this this thirst, this desire for a professional soccer team, and so then when that became a reality, uh, you know, it really took off as far as, as as fandom is concerned, especially because what the United has been able to do, both the organization and the fans, is they've taken the fandom they've they've learned from the european model you know if you ever watch uh, you know english premier league games or international games you see this intense fandom you see chants you see singing you see uh, painted faces you know really getting into the event well that's really what happened with the united just uh, from the beginning is you saw this intense fandom this somewhat novelty of a new team but this base that really wanted a professional soccer team and then you add on top of that that they won the championship so now you've set this standard and this expectation for success 
So it's really going to carry them for a number of years. You know, I think it's going to take a lot for those fans to drop off. You know, they may, they're back in the playoffs now, so they're continuing to be successful. And, you know, if they were to have a dip in, in performance in the next few years, I still think that base, because it started off so strong, is going to remain strong. Well, it's inter- also interesting. Atlanta is a much more cosmopolitan city than it used to be, and the Atlanta team is really diverse. Joseph Martinez is the star, a Dutch coach, uh, for example. And the nature, the very nature of soccer, I think, international soccer, is that people come from all over the world who love it. Is this becoming America's pastime? And what does that mean for the way that we think about sports in America? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting concept if you think about it, because these teams are, of course, associated with different cities, so Atlanta United, uh, D.C. United. Um, but the composition of the team is often not, you know, local citizens. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams where there's a, a local hero story where somebody grew up watching a team and now they play for that team. But yeah, you're right. For the most part, these rosters are international rosters. And that's, that's to be said for, you know, most of the major sports. Uh, hockey is very diverse internationally. Uh, uh, football, maybe not so much, but soccer, definitely. Uh, so I think, yeah, this is going to be more the norm, and it's, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly seen, you know, fans embrace this concept of wearing jerseys with Martinez and, and uh, you know, international and diverse last names, and it becomes part of the appeal is, you know, for example, my children who are all you know, Atlanta United fans, um, you know, they want to know about these players. They want to know about the countries they come from. They want to know. So it really becomes educational. Stick around. We'll be back with Dr. Seth Norholm. We're talking about the psychological highs and lows of Atlanta sports fans. I'm Virginia Prescott. We'll be back after a break with On Second Thought. We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Well, Wednesday night saw a big upset and great humiliation for the Atlanta Braves, but hopes are not completely lost for the city. Atlanta United starts its playoff season tomorrow night against the New England Revolution. My guest is Dr. Seth Norholm, former Atlantan. We're unpacking the psychology of a sports fan, especially when following a big losing or winning team. What does it mean to the players? What is the impact of having the the idea of fans, people supporting you, being part of that tribe? Yeah, the players. It's interesting because that's you know it's sort of a mixed bag because you know each player has different motivations and and different reasons for wanting to play the game or wanting to play in a certain place. Um, but what what you'll see in terms of you know you think of home field advantage you know the it's commonly believed that home field advantage helps the team because the fans are behind them they know the stadium they know the field um, but that can actually backfire and and a team will be you know collectively self-conscious about their performance and know that if we lose this we're going to hear about it at the end of the game <laughs> you know we're going to know immediately that our fans are not happy uh, so that home field advantage can quickly turn. Uh, but it's a really interesting psychological experiment to watch a sporting event. You know, the brains of fans work very much like the brains of the players. Mm-hmm. They feel the same disappointment. They feel the same elation. 
Well, besides the emotional effects, researchers from the INSEAD Business School found that dietary problems and heart-related illnesses rose significantly in cities dealing with major sports loss. So, Dr. Norholm, what is your recommended course of action for a depressed fan base? Right. And so I, I remember when I spoke to people after the, the Falcons, I remember a few years ago, they were up by you know, 25 points and then lost that Super Bowl. Uh, you know, then people are asking, well, how do you cope with this? And you know, my, my advice back then was to learn a little bit from the Buffalo Bills fans of the 1990s, because that Buffalo Bills team went to the Super Bowl four straight years and lost four straight times. And so you, that's when it's time to step back and take a look at the season itself. This was a great season. It had highs. It had these highlight moments, these moments that we could share. And uh, to think, and this is really what works well for sports fans, is there's always next year. And that's what keeps a lot of the fans of losing teams coming back. It's, you know, it's, it's perfectly normal and acceptable to uh, quote-unquote mourn the loss, but then put it in perspective and say, yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, there's next year. I enjoyed the time that I, you know, spent going to the games this season. Um, and to really focus on the positives. Hmm. Well, as a daughter of a longtime diehard Red Sox fan, <laughs> there was always hope for another season, as you're pointing out. But there's something else that was going on there. I think the idea that even belonging to a losing team meant belonging. So, right. so. What does that need in humans that we're seeing right now, uh, a divided America, the sense of sort of you're on this side, I'm on that side. Is sports a place where we can work out that kind of need to belong in a safe way? Yeah, I, absolutely. Sports is is a, a venue where you can have that camaraderie. And the appeal for sports for the longest time has been because it was outside of current events, because it was apolitical. And, you know, even if you look back in, in recent history, after 9-11, when the World Series started up again in New York and uh, President Bush threw out the first pitch, I mean, that was an, a, a really um, engaging moment that brought together the country. So sports has that power to bring people together. The problem is when those current events or those political beliefs or religious beliefs or whatever they may be spill into the sports. And then what can happen is you, the fans will walk away because their safe space or their, you know, their escape from all of that has been taken away. Um, and I think that's been reflected in the situation with Colin Kaepernick. You know, he is currently not an employed uh, NFL player with tremendous talent, but because his stance became a political stance, uh, it, it ended up dividing more fans and unifying fans. Do we just want to put ourselves into groups? Is that what's going on with human beings? <laughs> yeah, simply put, we, we have this uh, in-group, out-group bias. Um, so I was uh, talking to some students the other day, and you know, if I took my class and I said, okay, this side of the class was going to wear green shirts this semester, this side of the class is going to wear white shirts. It doesn't take much for the green shirts and the white shirts to start saying things about each other, to start treating each other differently, to start deprecating one another, because we have this in-group, out-group mentality. And that goes way back to our ancestors, where there were associations that had to uh, 
you know, battle each other for resources and for food and water. Now, ideally, you would want those groups to have their their shared individual values, but also respect the values of the other group. But mm-hmm. more often than not, what you see is hostility and friction between the groups. So despite that, despite that hostility, despite the stress, is it ultimately worth it? Is it a net positive psychologically to be a sports fan? <laughs> I would say yes. Given you know the the many positives that come out of the camaraderie uh, that come out of the changes in mood and the elation that comes with fandom, I think you know overall yes, it's it, you know even if you I'll give you a good example um, you know if you go to a sporting event and they do the kiss cam mm-hmm. and they'll go around they'll obviously they'll show the couples of different ages and then most stadiums the last shot will be uh, like a Falcons fan next to a Saints fan. And, you know, obviously they're not going to kiss, but it's good natured. It's a recognition. And here are two, quote unquote, rivals, but they're sitting next to each other and they're recognizing their commonality despite the different colors of their shirts. Dr. Norholm, uh, don't know who you're cheering for or if you're going to divulge at this point, but thank you so much for your time. Oh, sure. Thank you. Dr. Seth Norholm, he's Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Wayne State University School of Medicine.